0: ontological oxymorons. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. There is a prevailing narrative that philosophy is dead and science killed it. The story goes something like this. Philosophy was necessary when there were big questions we couldn't answer, but now our expansive scientific knowledge can explain most things, and our technologically refined scientific methods will figure out the rest. There's no longer a need to grow huge beards, wear togas, and ponder in the town square. Today we're going to look at why that's not true. Well, all of it except the part about togas. And while science has continually claimed the ter- territory of philosophy, philosophy hasn't disappeared, but instead is pressed on into new unknowns. Alright, so science and philosophy. Um, This is one that gets talked about a lot especially um if you're on the philosophy side of it (laughs) if you're on the science side of it um a lot of people don't really think about philosophy which as we'll talk about a little bit later doesn't mean the philosophy doesn't exist in science but it's more um latent or built into it than it used to be Mm -hmm. Um, it's not as explicit On the philosophy side of it, um, it gets talked about a lot, especially in higher education where people say, well, philosophy departments aren't necessary anymore or that sort of thing. Or you tell somebody you're doing a philosophy podcast. And this has actually happened to me. Oh, you do a podcast? What's it about? Oh, it's about philosophy. Oh, is that like astrology? (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. That's sweet. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so I mean, there's just, um, there is some prevailing... um, ignorance about what philosophy even is sure. and i think yeah. that that leads to some of the discussion about what, why or if philosophy is dead is because there's almost a misunderstanding about what philosophy even is or what it does mm-hmm. um so let's jump right into it and i'll ask you outright why does science need
1: philosophy <laughs> science needs philosophy whether some practitioners believe it or not and, and some very much do, be, in the sense that science can't avoid philosophy. Philosophy is, is, among so many other things, asking large questions, some of them uh, embracing an ambigu- ambiguity, some of them uh, questions that clearly aren't going to be answered immediately, but questions which push one forward. And when and when one believes that one has abandoned or killed or found it totally uh, useless, um, one is missing the very underlying act that one is doing. Now I'm I'm stepping out on a limb with this because here I am, get off the retired professor, always professor. Uh, of a small community college, I have two master's degrees. I've taught virtually my entire adult life, and but I'm not a big gun in science or philosophy. You know, I, I know that there's a there's a necessary humility to all of this. So when I say that Richard Feynman was blowing smoke out of his hat when he was trashing philosophy. Well, Feynman was one of the people whose writings I still continue to learn from. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Stephen Hawking essentially declares philosophy dead, well, Stephen Hawking was brilliant, but he was human. And I miss things, and he misses things. He probably missed fewer things than I. But, But I think that it's an act of intellectual blindsidedness or arrogance to assume that philosophy d- isn't part of science
0: right and that's a really good example is, is highlighting those guys because like you said titans in science, and you and I are just two guys talking in a in a bedroom studio, <laughs> and I'm right? glad we so, are
1: <laughs> so yeah
0: and again um we are obviously approaching any topic, but especially uh you know a topic of hard science um, from from a place of you know this is this is what we what we think based off of what we know yes um, and when when these scientists say that philosophy is dead they're saying what they think based off of what they know um, and thankfully but, not all scientists say it <laughs> right right but I guess so if we're looking at that so why does science need philosophy um, I guess we need to talk about um, what role philosophy plays in science right Mm -hmm. which is kind of providing a a logical fabric to what's being um what's being put into data right what the data is saying so you know i mean hawking and Feynman, these guys had big scientific discoveries but really i mean if you're looking at it you're looking at data of some kind Mm -hmm. and the data you know it's there but philosophy is sort of determining what
1: story the data is telling you right yes the conceptual structure i mean philosophy partly is about recognizing that all things change or seem to but how do they change and do they really and if they do how come those kind of questions are are laced into the very foundation as science emerged from philosophy. We,
0: yeah, and so I think Hawking is a really good example, right? Because, um, you know, Hawking made, leaps in the, uh, the field of studying black holes. Um, but up until our most recent um, direct imaging of a black hole, there was still speculation about whether black holes even existed. Mm-hmm. And so if, you're, if you are a quantum mm-hmm physicist, you your position would be that black holes don't exist. Um, and so a quantum physicist and Stephen Hawking, you know, they might be looking at some different data sets, but what they're not doing is saying that certain data doesn't exist. So both both of those people are looking at data, but they're coming to different conclusions because of their interpretations. In other words, they have different philosophies about what's happening at these gravitational points. That's it, yes. So um, for somebody like Hawking to say that philosophy is is dead when there's people in his field looking at his same data and coming to different conclusions um, really demonstrates that regardless of what his opinion was, philosophy is not dead, (laughs) even
1: in his very own subject. (laughs) Even in his very own subject. This is one of the science the current scientists another big con so to speak carlo rovelli i love reading his work he is a physicist of the first order acknowledged awarded and so on and i follow his blog and he he's written on this topic as well, as well as many others and he 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 doesn't trash his fellow scientists, he's always taking the the more positive and gentle and uh, inclusive view, which I appreciate about him. And yeah. and he, in his various writings, he has pointed out many ways in which it, philosophy is inextricable. For instance, in, in one of the blogs uh, from around 2015, 16, it was fairly recent anyway, he says, well, okay, But let's go back to the beginning. Here we have uh, a philosopher named, uh, it's often pronounced Isocrates, uh, who has a school, and in it he's teaching the practicality of things. And looking at the the only things of worth are the, the practical applications. And then we have Plato. Now, Social, politically, culturally, and so on, there are all kinds of problematic, male, imperialistic, everything built into this. But if I, if I t- tease out some of the things, because I think there's still value in the observations, where we see the same conflict, the clash of schools, so to speak, way back thousands of years ago that we have now. And in education, as you well know, with, with the training that, that you've received, uh, the The abundance of privilege goes to only those things that are seen that are seen to have immediate applications mm-hmm. and worth. Thus, the humanities are in constant state of of trying to stay on life support, so to speak, in in institutions of, of higher learning. Despite the fact that one could has it's been done many times, make all kinds of arguments for why the humanities give one the uh, a healthier life a a better life and so on and so on yeah
0: because you're i mean if you i mean look at the word if you're trying to take the humanity out of the other subjects that you're studying it's not it's not a very fulfilling <laughs> it's not a very fulfilling thing no but okay so looking back um at the you know kind of the original formation of philosophy you're right so you had um plato who's kind of metaphysic in a lot of and he had, he covered the gambit but you know there's a lot of metaphysical yeah. um aspects to it and then you had aristotelian sort of epistemological um observation of things yep so looking at that do you think that science has always existed or do you think at some point there was only philosophy
1: well my the th- th- the teachers who influenced me and the writings who influenced me have made a, a very strong case where there was, there was philosophy, and the questions of philosophy were targeted at things that we then become we we call scientific. And so, where do we come from, and how does the world work, and those kind of things. Yeah,
0: right. So, gotcha. So whenever we're we're looking at something, a philosophy. I guess we should define it, right. So what's the difference between having a philosophy, right, and, you know, you're looking at the world, right? And yep. you're trying to determine how things happen. What, what makes something a philosophy? You're looking
1: f- a, a structural approach to things. So, it, so uh, it's not a cascade of random questions. As much as it is a question that leads to another question that leads to a, another question that, much like what we do in the podcast, you know, we, we're always referencing things we've talked about before. If you don't want to think of it as a cascade, then we can use a more current structural paradigm, which is the web, right? <laughs> you know, interwovenness, which is which is nice. But Aristotle was working with the uh, was founding the notion that a a general theory of something goes on and supports and happens to be useful to the development of science. But you start with, with the idea of theory. How does, how does the mind work? What is the mind? What, how do we determine what the mind is? Can we conceptualize something and then test it? So there's a, to me, there's an obvious interrelationship between the two things in fact it's the same genetic code so to speak for philosophy mm-hmm. and, and science because if you're just taking raw data we, we are so data obsessed I, I think this is familiar to you i mean in, in the the work that i that i did if you didn't hear multiple times every day well what do the data show what do the data show well here's here's the raw information but how is that information gathered? What were the questions that were asked in order to obtain that information? Were there skewings of some way in that information? So let's say you've got this information. If you just treat that information as untainted, whether it's numbers or anecdotal material, then you're missing the point of how the information was obtained in the first place. So there's already an inescapable inescapable uh, essence of the human and the flawed in that information which doesn't mean the information is wrong it just means that as one is drawing making guesses about the information and then building theory and then drawing conclusions and applying those one is still bringing a foundational approach Hmm. to it Right, and that's a problem in modern um, in modern
0: science or academia. Right, is looking at you know if you if you find people who have good writing skills, um, you know you might read through a study. And some people, if you're not applying a critical reading approach to it, you might just sort of accept what the results of of a study are. Mm-hmm. Or uh, there's a lot of students that will just read the abstract and then read the discussion and be done with it, mm-hmm. but It takes philosophy is is reading through the methods, you know, and then, you know, lots of times you can read through the methods and spot limitations that the authors don't mention at the end of it. And then that makes you question, okay, like you said, well, how was this data, you know, how was this collected? Is it being interpreted in a way that accurately reflects what the author is concluding from it? And all of these other things. And, and it leads to you know, problems in, in academia where they have problems replicating studies because maybe some of those things weren't done right or mm-hmm. maybe um, the demographic that was drawn from was different or all these different things. So I think that a big risk in saying philosophy is dead is that um, you see what people reacting the way they are now, which is people will read a, a scientific article in the news and say, well, this is the way it is. Yes.
1: Well, or reject it rejected and say, "Nope, this is right. This is patently untrue." Based on what? It, it, there, some, there were some uh, Ravelli or someone <laughs> referred, I, I can't remember who—but essentially saying, "Well, then, then you're back down to two old guys sitting on a bench, and they hear something about the world and." Well, that's not true. Why? Because I never experienced it, or, right? You know. Or, <laughs> so, you, you, so you said the word method, and I think that's vitally important. Philosophy is about methods, mm-hmm. and people who caricature it or poo-poo it, toss it aside, like to pretend, uh, reductively, that it's two two old guys sitting on a on a bench saying. Like, asking random questions, but they're not random questions. There's a method to question asking. Right. And, and I, you know, even if you watch a police procedural, which is a scripted drama, not, but then you will see a set of questions that sooner or later take information. And sometimes what the information was just in a a silly fun police or detective show or whatever, a mystery. Oh, Oh, I thought this meant this. No, it doesn't mean this at all. We were looking for this problem. That's not the problem we should be looking for. And, and, and I love mysteries for, for those kind of things. But that's philosophical,
0: right? Yeah, and that's what um my uh my wife's uncle is a, a a lawyer, and he's told me you know that's what law school is. Law school, they're not teaching you about the law; they're teaching you how to think hmm. because the law is so expansive that we they couldn't possibly go over everything in the law or every possible scenario you might run into what they're saying is here's the basics of it you know here's how you should try to interpret procedures but outside of that here's how you have to think in order to apply those procedures to whatever situation you might come across Mm -hmm. um and that's that's philosophy, you know. That's that's what you're being taught is logic, right? Um, and logic yeah. is an is a. It's school one of the of schools of, right. of branches. So, looking at that, we'll ask we'll ask the inverse question from the first one. Why does philosophy need science?
1: All right, and, and it's a, a fine question. Philosophy needs science because whether we live in a culture that likes to acknowledge or admit this or eschew it science is essentially the producer of almost all things that we would, we have been philosophizing about. Whether it's advances in human health or ways of approaching human health to uh, tech, to the creation of technologies and whether we can, we should apply them or not. Uh, I can't think. I can think of almost nothing that isn't, that hasn't the essence of science to it in some way that that philosophy addresses. Philosophy needs science because science is the is the practical application of method, <laughs> yeah. and so one can. As they like to caricature, sitting in an armchair, talking about things instead of actually putting your feet on the ground and doing something. Oh, okay, well, let's run with that. I can ask really fine questions from an armchair that aren't, that aren't wrong because they were generated from a couch. (laughs) Uh, But I'm not, as you said before, I'm not an engineer. I am not a technologist. I am well read and I'm wide on those kinds of things from a layperson viewpoint. But if a technologist or an engineer or a physicist designs an experiment, and all of that may be way beyond me, and somebody like Ravelli is going to explain to me what's what's really going on there, and maybe I'll have half a notion of understanding, I still get to ask questions, and those questions sometimes will be relevant, and those questions sometimes might lead somebody who's listening to rethink what they're doing, which is what the essence of I'm not trying to talk about me today. it's on me Day. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I, I guess coming up on an anniversary. Uh, I tried in my teaching, with my students to always come to them as a writing instructor or as a philosophy teacher, to yeah. say, "I have a body of knowledge. I can teach you, as you just said, about the law, so just you know, I can teach you to question. I can teach you to ask questions that will lead you to write things that you wouldn't have thought you would have written. I can teach you to question what people tell you about what makes good writing, because often those cliches just aren't the case. But I can't tell you whether your engineering problem that you're solving in another class is right. I can't tell you if you've done the proper procedure as a nurse when you're inserting an IV. Because that's not my body of knowledge. Because we are a society that embraces special speciality, as the British say. So my specialty is not yours. However, my specialty can assist yours, and your specialty can, in turn, cause me to rethink, which is assists mine.
0: Gotcha. So philosophy needs science because you know without without that rigor, without that sort of. A practical application um what do you have is there can science exist without philosophy and vice versa do you think they can exist in void you know voids without each other i really don't think so because they never
1: have (laughs) right (laughs) i you know i don't want to i don't want to obsess about ancient origins but I, i but i think it's inevitable that when you ask questions, you put them to a test. If you put them to a test and you gather information, however, that is done across centuries and cultures, then you have perhaps a result or a dead end. At which point you're asking all kinds of questions again to try to figure out, well, what's next or what went wrong or why would this lead to this? And how practical stuff, how is this useful? How might this be applied? But if you don't have any of that going on, then the questions are going to be fascinating questions. And some of them are going to be fascinating questions no matter what scientists do. But but for the most part, there is an interwovenness. Look at our culture now. We have scientists, world-class scientists, presenting us information that has, to some extent, Changed because of intensive research of a kind that the planet on a planetary basis has never been done before for the pandemic for COVID 19 solutions. And within a year, this is unprecedented, within a year, we have multiple inoculations, multiple vaccines. Oh, but it's been discovered that there might be the problem with one and there has been for a very very small number of people so it's something like uh six cases out of seven million i've i've forgotten for the moment which one it doesn't matter which one i think at this moment so people say no we got to stop it we can't we can't do this there's too much of a risk Well, if you apply mathematical science, (laughs) statistical, and you say, okay, I worked that out as I did on the calculator. And I can't give you the exact number out of my memory, but it was something like 0.00000085%. Not even (laughs) close to any uh, minuscule. Now, those human lives who have suffered or died, those handful of people, were valuable and human and the loss is therefore irreparable and to be mourned. But does that mean an entire policy should change? Probably not. But that requires both a philosophical approach and and scientific rigor
0: right and that's that's a big I mean that's a big philosophical um, issue. Is determining where science starts and ends, right? And you have all these levels of sigma, right? Mm-hmm. Sigma levels mm-hmm. determining how certain you are that something actually is science, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with with something like the numbers you're talking about, you know, well, we only have a five sigma certainty. Well, only a five sigma certainty can be very, very certain, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but. It's still a philosophical question, right? Because people are going to look at it and say, well, wait, if, if we have this number of people dying, then it's not working and we need to redo it. Um, but so I want to, I want to go back to the, the original question though, cause I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite clear on it. So we'll practice some philosophy. Okay. Um, <laughs> could science and, and philosophy exist in voids, right? Let's kind of question back and, and see where we go if we get far enough. All get right. back, so if we have philosophy, which is um, sort of the asking questions uh, 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 in a process you know having a process to ask questions um, without a practical application, is there another word for that? Is there another sort of concept that we we could consider that? I'll tell you what I'm getting... I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss. All right. So, um, let's say we have, for instance, something that couldn't be um, concretely looked at, like uh, epi- epicycles, right? Ptolemy, I think it was. Ptolemy had the Ptolemy. epicycles, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Humanity was trying to espouse the philosophy that the Earth is at the middle of the universe. Yes. And so, in order to do that, they were observing the stars. And of course, Earth is not at the middle of the universe, much less the center of the solar system. So as a result, the planets were not acting the way they wanted them to. Mm -hmm. So what they were doing was saying, well, in addition to the planets going around the Earth, the planets are actually making small circles as they're on their larger orbit around the Earth. And the more more observations they took, the less it worked, so the more epicycles they created, on and on and on. So in that case, you had a philosophy – is that – I guess that's still science and philosophy, but the philosophy was wrong, right, you think? The
1: philosophy was, was partially wrong in, in the sense that there were circles, but there wasn't enough knowledge yet to determine how those circles would work. Right. right, so the questions were important the The tools by which to gain the information to address those questions and assumptions and 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 uh, conclusions had to be developed. There's that philosophy needs science, right okay. And science needed philosophy because because if science had said, well, Earth is at the center of the solar system. There are five planets, and there's the end of the story. And the philosopher says, what if there's a sixth? Shouldn't we try to look and find out? <laughs> and, and, and so that's where science needs philosophy. Right. So
0: if we have so –
1: so that wasn't a good example. <laughs>
0: philosophy without science – um okay all right yes that would that be a like a conspiracy theory
1: um okay i i in in the sense of of how i mean well because here's what i'm
0: thinking so a lot of conspiracy theorists if you if you read the conspiracies there appears to be a, a logical train of thought and there appears to be a question, a question of mind question, but there's no rigorous or, you know, right.
1: it appears because what it what it conspiracy theories are another kind of religious faith. Mm. Now, again, as I've said time and time again, I am not trashing religious faith because I have far too many people in my life who I honor and they have various kinds of faith systems which are part of their lives but do not dominate their capacity to think q and all of these related conspiracies or the the fictional ones the x-file stuff take whatever you will they pretend to be philosophical because they pretend to ask questions but they aren't because they already think they have the answers. They pretend to consider information which they don't because they're trying to shoehorn information to a pattern that they've already are absolutely certain exists. So when you when you you you're coy when you say well oh look there's a pattern here this must this number and this number added together make 7. Right right <laughs> okay. I'm shocked. You see There's that seven or that 13 again. That's nonsense because what they're doing is is pushing the issue to find what it is that they want to find. So the difference between a
0: conspiracy and a philosophy is deductive versus inductive reasoning. If you're starting with a premise, you're starting with an end result that you believe is true, and then you're just finding evidence that supports that notion, that's a conspiracy. Whereas a philosophy is starting without having the answer in mind and asking
1: questions to try to box in what the answer may be. I will go with you with that to a point, but I will even say still that, that that no, conspiracy theories are not philosophy. Because in deductive reasoning, you take what's there and you... Right? You can't start out being certain of what your conclusion is going to be. Either in deductive or inductive reasoning, and say that you're actually doing logical work, right? So there's where the irrational is, and and, and there's where the faith is, because faith is not rational either, and that doesn't mean everybody's running around being irrational. It, it just means that you've already decided what the answers are, and so you're not really looking for fresh thought. Now, that's not true for every branch of every religion, and certainly not I'm not, I'm, not, I'm trying desperately not to overgeneralize. But in the main, if you accept absolutely that the unseen is there, and that no matter what you question, the unseen is the answer, then the question becomes less and less and less important.
0: Hmm. Okay, so I guess... I'm trying to think of any other examples where philosophy mm. could exist without without science. Right? Well,
1: if if science is logic, no. If science is, but I can sit here and say, what is the nature of God? And 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 that is, it seems like it's not a scientific question because you can't prove God exists. You can't prove God doesn't. Everyone else. How many people have worked on that? But but if you say, what is the nature of God? You are asking, or or assuming, and then asking that there is a categorizable set of elements and characteristics that comprise a figure called God. So even if I'm asking a question like that, if I do, if I break down the way that I phrase the question, there's still an element of science in it,
0: right? And ultimately, it kind of comes down to it, it's language again, right? Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> to say you know to like how you just said that, um, trying to say that there is God or isn't God is not a scientific question, but talking about the nature of of God is a scientific approach is a scientific approach. And so really you' the the language that goes into determining, well, what is what do we mean by God then is kind mm-hmm. of a is its is own philosophical, And a scientific question. So let's look at the inverse one. Can science exist without philosophy? Um, I'll present you a scenario. Okay. All right. And this, I guess this could be um, pretty feasible. Let's say we have uh, an artificial intelligence, right? And it's getting all kinds of, gathering all kinds of data, right? Uh, We have the the large sky survey. So it looks at, you know, the whole sky every so often and, um, you know, maps where things are yeah um is that doing science without philosophy if it's not human right it's collecting massive troves of data and it may even be able to um draw some inferences from that data without being conscious or sentient
1: Ah, uh, but but if if it's And here we
0: go with the language again. Yeah, right. You know what I'm going to do. and I and I
1: appreciate you 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 expressed that very well, truly. But my philosophical question is, how would it be possible to develop an intelligence that is not that does not have the taint or the essence or the conceptual structures of the human because we're the ones making it right <laughs> and and so there are built in just like we know there are built in sometimes intentionally sometimes unintentionally into the, the so-called simplest algorithms don't ask me to write an algorithm i'm talking philosophically <laughs> but 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 biases that are built in sometimes with intent and sometimes because they just seem to be transparent until philosophically we start asking the questions about those biases and make them not transparent anymore, and make them re- reveal them. So, in the artificial intelligence case, looking at the the big sky or the deep sky, we we are asking. We have I don't want to use the word trained because we're we have programmed written the coding for that gathering of information. And that coding is based on anything that we think we might be looking for. <laughs> does that <So>, makes sense?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it does. So the AI is built by humans. And as a result the information that it's collecting is what humans consider important so it really makes no difference to the universe if there's a giant stadium-sized asteroid about to hit earth it doesn't doesn't make any difference no it doesn't make any but difference but to humans the it makes a big amount of difference so yeah. they've created this ai in order to collect the information that they consider important uh-huh. and so that is philosophical in nature
1: there there was a A multi-talented, a polymath, uh, a man named Otto Norod, who died in the forties. He was Austrian. He he was a philosopher. He's an economist. He was all kinds of things. A sociologist. He uh, did uh, did innovated isotope uh, statistical work. He did all kinds of things, and his articulation of the relationship between science. I think you're going to like this. And and philosophy went right back to refreshing a model that we've talked about over and over again. It went back to the ship of Theseus. Hmm. So I'm going to read you a quotation from it. All right. So Otto Neurot. Imagine sailors who far out at sea transform the shape of their clumsy vessel from a more circular to a more fish-like one. They make use of some drifting timber, besides the timber of the old structure, to modify the skeleton and hull of their vessel, but they cannot put the ship in dock in order to start from scratch. During their work, they stay on the old structure and deal with heavy gales and thundering waves, and in transforming their ship, they take care that dangerous leakages do not occur. A new ship grows out of the old one step by step, and while they are still building, the sailors may already be thinking of a new structure, and they will not always agree with one another, and the whole business will go on and on in a way that we cannot even anticipate today. That is our fate. I've been watching a television show called Away. It's on Netflix, and it's, it's, about, it's near future science fiction. It's about a, the first mission to Mars. And the episode that I just watched was about the water system catastrophically breaking down on this <laughs> tin can going to Mars with five people on it. And, of course, the emotional, the human conflict, is one and, and they have essentially a spare tire a device which will only produce half as much water. It'll be enough for them to survive. But they have to deconstruct the entire system and then when they put it back together, then they realize that if they had taken apart one of the other parts, they might have had full water. And I suspect the show being what it is, they're still going to have things better happen to them. But but they go through all of this, and I'm sitting there thinking, Neurot, I'm thinking the ship of Thesis. The moment you start tinkering with the vessel that you're on, it's not the, it's not the same vessel anymore, is it? The more you tinker, the more you must because you realize things. That's what science does. The ship of Theseus is a philosophical model, but it in- Neurot, i think was right it embraces or or expresses the inextricable relationship between the two things you can you can i mean you're not if if you're on a ship and somebody says, "Well, gee, what if we poke a hole here? Maybe more water will go out than comes in." <laughs> The, the science-oriented people on the ship are saying, you're crazy. We're not putting another hole in the bottom of the ship, but we have to find another way to blah, 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 which is the scientific method in a sense. Right.
0: Yeah, and we've talked about that before where, um, you know, like an- anybody who's, who's a homeowner has run into this, right? <laughs> you have to make a minor repair of some kind and you open something up and it's not what you expect would be there. Mm-hmm. And then you have to trace back the logic. Sometimes you tear the whole thing apart. You go, well, what were these mm. guys thinking? You tear it apart and oh, you go, yeah. oh, wait, they had it that way for a reason. Yeah. Or sometimes you tear it apart and you go, well, why did they have it that way? Because it makes more sense to do it this way. Well, the people that re- built it originally didn't have, didn't the, have methods the methods <laughs> construction. <laughs> and the so, materials. Yeah, that's philosophical. Looking at a problem, you know, something that you don't expect, and then trying to determine well is it this way for a purpose or was it this way because the knowledge and methods weren't there originally um so tinkering yeah is sort of inherently philosophical and scientific at the same time you know and that's that's sort of the course of humanity right that's that's what we're that's what we're doing on all fronts is is looking at something and saying Okay, well, how how can we make this better? <laughs> yeah,
1: well, and 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 we have the collision of the science and the philosophical, or the or the blending of them, and the not scientific going on right now. And you have the confrontation between a repre- uh, someone who is a government representative bashing the the person who's in charge of the of the response to the pandemic by demanding to know when exactly, Americans will get their freedoms back. Well, that's a loaded question. It was meant to just avoid the science entirely, as if the freedoms have gone. No, well, freedoms are never in, <laughs> freedoms are always in flux, people. So, <laughs> and and it was annoying, and you could see that the annoyance is gone until one other person says, essentially, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, and I understand why, but that's the, the point is you can't ask for a certain answer to something that we don't have the information about yet. Just like people are complaining now, well, the, the the vaccine is only last six months. We don't know that because we haven't lived out the right. six months past when the, you know, maybe it'll last longer. You can't ask for answers that haven't been able to be determined because of information that we don't have yet. And call yourself scientific, Right. You know, and, or to call yourself philosophical if you're demanding a hard answer instead of asking a question. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and this happens in in all areas. Even um, me and one, my wife's best friend's husband, we're both um, the head of different manufacturing companies. And, um, you know, we've been talking about pandemic shortages and stuff. And we both have this problem, right, where, um, you know, customers are, are so... Uh, It's results oriented, right? Mm -hmm. Everything is results oriented. And I think that that, as a society, that says something about us. Um, But, you know, so him and I are both talking about how we have the same issue where customers are saying, all right, well, here's what we want. When's a hard ship date for it? And then we have to write back and say, well, um, if our materials come in on time, which we can't guarantee, and uh, if we have the... uh, The machine availability, which we can't guarantee because some things may be usurped for uh, national safety purposes. And um, if the workforce stays healthy because there is a pandemic going on and if, 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 if if you should have it this day and then they say, "Okay, well, you're guaranteeing it will show up this day. Good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's frustrating. No,
0: sir. I'm not guaranteeing. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, and you know, that kind of encapsulates the whole um society's sort of the conundrum with this the science and the philosophy right Mm -hmm. is you have these people and they want you know its it's, we've talked about before in different areas defining terms you know again lots of times it comes back with language to us. It does. We're talking about products in this case but it it applies just as well to language okay Mm -hmm. well when I say this thing I want it to mean this concrete thing well really there's all of these variables that go into determining whether or not what we're talking about fits into this box. And this box is not a point in space, it's a box containing several <laughs> things. And that box overlaps with other boxes. And there's a, you know, so trying to use one word to say, well, this is what this means becomes very difficult because words are just something that we invented (laughs) words don't exist in the universe (laughs) 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 and that's the whole process of philosophy right is looking you know observing observing things and trying to categorize and then once you have a categorization that falls within your five or six sigmas saying well this is science now it's a concrete thing Mm -hmm. But science also changes.
1: Science because changes. Because the philosophy <laughs> changes it. <laughs> what? it. That's exactly it. Uh, there's a practicing scientist, uh, physicist, who says, currently, we gain from the new science of mind not only insights into ourselves, how we perceive, how we learn, how we remember, how we feel, how we believe, and how we act, but also a new perspective of ourselves and our fellow human beings in the context of biological evolution. We are not the same people we were yesterday. And and right now we are, th- this, again, science and philosophy, I think are totally mixed up into this. People are asking all these questions. We put uh, pandemic fatigue. Well, yeah, the fatigue should be how many? 560 and more thousand. 560,000 plus people we have lost because we didn't do it as well as we might have done it. And and we're trying to do it well, and everything is mitigating against that because we're tired, we're fatigued. So we just want to go back to the way it was. And we're talking about normalcy another time, right? right. So it, that's bloody dangerous, mm-hmm. and, and it is leading us to the edge of perhaps another surge. Our tiredness and our desire to have everything just to be the way it was before all this hit belies an inability to or an unwillingness. To, to accept that the universe changes and changes and changes and changes, and there is no established, static, rendered in stone normal, no matter how much you want to push the issue. That, and the danger in that is then in ignoring the science and not thinking philosophically all at the same time. It becomes a, 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 an understandably human, but frustratingly human, I wanna. <laughs> right,
0: and this is... I think this is leading into some shows that we'll do in the future. I, I've been thinking about them for a while, and I think that it might be a good time here in the near future talking about um, some philosophical schools like Stoicism mm-hmm. or looking at, um, you know, wants versus needs and how that um, interrelates with freedoms, right? Sure. Because, you know, I we talk about it occasionally on the show. I was in the Army. Um, and really – being in the army, you have, you have fewer freedoms or rights than prisoners in the U S in, mm-hmm. in many cases. And, um, that kind of opens your eyes to what sort of things you need versus what sort of things you want. And it does, it makes the whole pat- pandemic fatigue thing very silly in a lot of cases, <laughs> right? I, I remember posting a picture early on in the pandemic of, um, I had one picture of me on, on the right at work wearing my, my, my mask. And I picture on the left of me wearing a mask and a helmet and goggles <laughs> and all my military gear. And I said, well, it's going to work for eight hours a day like this fun. No, but it's better than going to work for 12 hours a day like this, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's perspective. Right. And we've talked yeah. about perspective and we've talked about normalcy and we've talked about a lot of these other things. Yeah. And, you know, really, in a, in a lot of cases, that's that's what's required to you know, what people need to to drive some of this home is, um, some perspective and some philosophical thought on, well, what does it mean to have freedom? If I'm yeah. in my home and I have food to eat and I have shelter and I'm free to read or do, you know, think or do a podcast or do, you know, make music or write art. What, what more do I need? You know, you know, mm-hmm. and of course, You know, and you can't stop there because philosophy never stops. Because you should ask: Well, is the government being authoritative? Is um, are these things going on? Those are valid questions to ask.
1: But how you
0: come to your conclusions
1: is the important. That that is it. Do you listen? Do you follow the line of your own solid thinking, or do you pretend to follow a line that just ends up taking you exactly where you want to be? And I mean, and, and and what? How are you cherry picking? Information and why do some things get valued and some things not? Uh, here's a again. Here's here's science, yielding empirical information. Here's an example. More people have died of gunshots in the United States in 2021. What are we in? We're not even through April. Than died in the entirety of almost 20 years in Afghanistan. More people have died of guns in this country in three months and a couple weeks than 20 years of military and yet there are people who would say well yeah so what i have a right to have my gun all right well then nobody's denying that you have a right to have a gun but what do you make of all of this and how can you bloody well ignore it and call yourself a rational person it's you you have there is a, a an inescapable, problematic, culturally wide problem going on here. Yeah, and again, it's it's philosophy
0: forcing you to shift your perspective on it, and that's a good one. Another one that I've I've heard that's that's interesting is you know every day in the U.S. we have a nine eleven's worth of deaths happening from the yes. pandemic, right? But nine eleven, we went into a twenty year war over it, and in the pandemic, we're just fighting to
1: get rid of the safety measures right and then even and then yep and then and, and that put the political the scientific and the philosophical together And say, yeah well we went to a 20-year war over but it wasn't we went to war on soil uh, which did not produce the people who actually did 9-11 in the first place so we we sort of missed the target and i don't say that lightly there's so much Blood and pain and awfulness and material and whatever category you want to pick. It's a horror. But it was also misapplied. We know that now with the perspective of years. Because of political philosophy, because of scientific, whether it's through technological means of gaining information, technology emerges out of science. It's scientific application. And 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 to, to not dwell on those things is to let them continue to happen the same way. Right.
0: All right. Well, let me ask you this. Um, so is philosophy a type of science or is it a pseudoscience or is it something completely different? We were talking earlier about our words and our boxes of words and things. <laughs> how do we how do we define it? How do we separate the two?
1: I think philosophy, again in in my training in my wandering philosophy, mm-hmm. is a large set of subsets of methods by which to probe worlds. Mm-hmm whether they are interior worlds or exterior worlds. The methods are the essence of philosophy, and the methods evolve and change. Uh, so it's not pseudoscience. It's not always science. Science is one of the branches of philosophy. Right. When scientists, it, the scientists who, who like to deny uh, philosophy or just like the 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 the, the middle aged people who say, "My parents gave me nothing. I'm nothing like them. They they were they were awful to be with, and and I'm glad to be well well rid of them." There are people who say those kind of things, or the people who love their parents and still say, "Nope, not going to be like that when I <laughs> right because so the parent always gets bashed one way or the, right. <laughs> the other." Um, but I but I think that that's a kind of that's a familial. Uh, the metaphor to to help understand this, like it or not, science developed out of philosophical considerations, as did approaches to how we look at art, as did approaches to how we structure our rational thinking, and so it's pre-science, but it led to science.
0: Right. So philosophy is is kind of the foundational bedrock of all human thinking. So, like you just mentioned. Um, philosophy influences art as well. So bridging the gap between science and art, can philosophical
1: art inspire science? Yes. (laughs) See, and I'm answering too fast. I should be thinking, but I've thought about this because we talked about what we were going to talk about. You know, we we determined what we're going to talk about. Take a science fiction show like Star Trek back in the sixties Well, at the same time, we had the most active space program. Well, it was new. It was the space program, the the Apollo program. And there are many people who said in the 60s that – they were already practicing engineers that so Star Trek influenced them. But more, but moreover, they said that they had read lots of science fiction as kids and they loved all the possibilities. That didn't mean they were going out into space looking for the pulp cover of scantily clad woman who needed the help of the space guy with a blaster in his hand. It wasn't that crap. <laughs> it was fun, these stuff. It was uh, it, 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 enormously insulting stuff too. But the, the essence of it was... Could we do this? Might we try this? How could this? And that influenced engineers and physicists. Science fiction, which is an art, (laughs) which arises out of philosophical considerations, then had an influence in various degrees on some people who were engineers and scientists who were actually putting technological application to getting us somewhere.
0: And you can still see that in in the language that we use. They, you know, I've seen a lot of scientific articles popping up recently about warp drives. Yeah, right. Yeah, a warp drive isn't a thing that actually exists in science. No, it was something that was created artistically. Yeah, and then it inspired scientists somewhere to think: Is that something we can really do? And to try to put these these
1: scientific methods into the application, so they become normalized. Right when we when somebody hears in a movie hyperdrive, everyone says, "Oh, I know what that means. It means we can go faster than light, and get anywhere fast." Right. <laughs> so the word, the phrase, becomes, as you say, a fictionalized trope, which becomes normalized so that everybody thinks they know what they're talking about, and 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 then it becomes, well, we've talked about it so much, can't we make it happen? <laughs> right. Yeah. So you know, I think that and that example of it,
0: how art inspires science is a kind of a a more um, clear depiction of how philosophy um, influences science as well. You know, I think that's more what we're looking at is there isn't any hard difference. There's an osmotic boundary between philosophy and science. There's a two way street. Mm -hmm. um, And you, as we've tried to demonstrate here, you know, you can't really fully separate one from the other. um, But it doesn't, that doesn't make art or philosophy um, dead because science has continued to grow as it continued to expand. What's happened is that a lot of the, the questions that science has answered just open up more questions. The science can't answer at this point. And really that's going to be a continuous pattern, right? We've talked about that in the past. I think I asked you at some point, well, well, science. Will we be able to answer all questions if we had the if we had the robot, right? If we had right. the machine that had all the tools, <laughs> could we answer everything? And the question, you know, the answer that we came to was no. You you can. You know, the more answers you find, the more questions you're going to have. And so, philosophy is never going to be dead. We're always going. No matter how many scientific discoveries we make, no matter how many scientific methods we develop, those things are just going to answer questions that will create more questions. Mm-hmm. And you know. And philosophy is going to be at the forefront of those. And the the most recent article that's been popping up I've seen a lot lately is scientists are saying that the universe is a continually self learning algorithm. <laughs> well, if that's not philosophical, I don't know what is. Exactly. So yes, and and these are these are the some of the smartest scientists in the world saying it. So they're not acting on just hard scientific data. They're not just using pure scientific methods. Sure, they're using all of the information that they have, but then they're adding an interpretation and
1: the interpretation or the extrapolation is the philosophical part.
0: Right. And there's going to be people like we said, who are going to take that same data and interpret it a different way. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, that's the the process of philosophy in science. So yeah, thanks. It was another good discussion. And uh, like I said, I think we're going to head into, um, you know, I'm sure that in the future we'll have a whole episode just about science, because I think the, we've talked about science and philosophy. I think we can talk about the philosophy of science. Yeah, I think a completely we should different topic. Yeah, we should. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's also some interesting things to explore with, uh, like I said, schools of philosophy, you know, um, mm-hmm. looking at stoicism or, um, some of the other ones and, um, you know, and maybe even delving into, um, human needs versus wants versus freedoms versus, and the, the concepts of these things. So we've, We've talked about them briefly, but in all of our 50-something episodes, I think that that's one of the topics that's managed to escape us in large part up to this point. So, well, let's do it. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get into it in the future. Until then, keep talking.